Welcome to the Scott Thompson Home Show Podcast. Ontario heads back into lockdown. Is this lockdown different from the others? After a sloppy conservative convention, the liberals have moved way ahead of the conservatives. It's all coming up. Today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. I'm Curtis Thompson, Scott's son. Ontario is heading back into a month-long lockdown. I thought we were already in one. Oh, that's just life with my sister. Oh. Hammerstrong, it's the Scott Thompson Home Show. Here's Scott Thompson. Turn that smile upside down, that crown upside down. What does this sound? Good afternoon, it is 1210, it is 900 CHML. I'm Scott Thompson, Will Erskine back at the station, keeping the Scott Thompson Home Show between the pipes as we wind off uh, week number 54. Feel free to jump into the conversation, love to hear from you, lots of ways to do that, especially heading into a holiday, a break. Uh, I know, I know, I heard I, I heard the I heard the door slamming shut, or we probably will at about 1.30 this afternoon officially. Uh, but again, it is uh, a few days of uh, much-needed rest, that's for sure. All right, let's bring in Jonathan Schur, health journalist and investigative reporter. He is with us now. Jonathan, thank you for the time. Hope you're doing well. I am, and thanks for having me on. Have you ever spent so much time working on one story? <laughs> Probably not, uh, uh, when you consider how long this pandemic is going on. Uh, uh, but it's critical that we get it right. Absolutely. All right. Your thoughts on where we are? We're certainly hearing uh, lockdowns going into place uh, right the way across the country from Vancouver all the way, I guess, to about Quebec. Uh, your thoughts on uh, where we are? I guess this is a confirmed third wave. Yeah. Well, we've been in the third wave for, for a few weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's frankly been evident since January when we saw what was happening with variants in Europe that a third wave was coming. It wasn't a question of if, but but when. Uh, we're clearly in that third wave now, and as you mentioned, we'll be hearing at one thirty from the premier about what steps he's going to take. Uh, uh, frankly, um, there's one big missing piece uh, from his arsenal, and and that's schools. Um, uh, Stephen Liche, the uh, education minister, uh, uh, said earlier today that schools will uh, not go to remote learning this coming week, uh, did not rule out that they might go to remote learning after the April break. Uh, but while the rest of the province is going to be shut down uh, in a gray-like zone starting on the weekend, as, as your team reported, uh, schools will remain in person next week. And that is uh, kind of the underside of, of, of Ontario right now, because it's, it, it, there's, there's growing evidence that it's transmission in schools that is driving transmissions elsewhere in our communities. Uh, I don't know. I just heard the, the exact opposite from the news conference this morning, and they were asked this very question about schools. They said schools is a reflection of what the community is, and if the community starts getting worse, then obviously the schools are getting worse, not that it's actually starting in the schools and spreading outward. Right, but in fact, the data shows precisely the opposite, and this is data that was put together by Dr. Diego Bassani, who's an epide- epidemiologist and senior scientist at SickKids, uh, director of the Center for Global uh, Child Health, uh, and an associate professor of University of Toronto, uh, he shows uh, in data that he released uh, this morning 
that uh, the uh, rate of growth uh, in COVID in schools is far surpassing that in the communities ever since uh, schools reopened in early February, that the actual number of cases uh, uh, per population in schools has been greater than in our communities since uh, February 19th, and that gap has been growing at an exponential rate. So uh, right now, so- right right now we're seeing about 35 cases uh, per 10,000 uh, uh, people in school. Uh, by comparison, uh, we're seeing closer to 15 in our communities. Um, it's clear from the data, schools uh, school cases are driving uh, cases in the community. I know we heard otherwise uh, uh, earlier from from the province, but re- consider the source. Uh, Dr. David Williams, the chief medical officer of health. Uh, has been wrong again and again and again since this pandemic began. Um, uh, so wait, and- let, let me stop you here, Jonathan. So you are saying that schools are the cause of this spread? I am saying that the data presented by Dr. Diego Bassani, uh, uh, uh shows clear evidence that that is the case. Um, if the province has data to support something to the contrary, it owes it to the people of Ontario to present it because the evidence that Dr. Bassani is presenting this morning uh, shows paints a very different picture and a, and a very serious one too. Because if we get this wrong, if schools are a driver of COVID in our communities, then keeping schools open uh, uh, will continue to drive up rates, and it means that the sacrifices that we're making elsewhere in our community, going into kind of a gray zone like uh, uh, shutdown. Um, uh, will not be enough. I'm going to challenge you again, Jonathan. Um, this is the first time I have ever heard that this is caused by spreading in schools. Um, so, and this is from any of the provinces, east to west, uh, from any other data that I've seen. This is the first person, the first situation that I have ever heard in, you know, and again, I don't know anything. I'm just reporting it. Uh, in, 50, in, in 54 weeks of, of doing this, this is the first time I have heard anybody ever say that this is caused by spreading in schools. Well, we have to be careful with the word cause. Where we, You just said that the province is reporting that it's community cases that drive cases in school when the data says the opposite. Well, where would those cases come from if the school, if they're not? But wait a sec, Jonathan. Where are those? How are those cases getting into the school? Are the kids creating that? Kids go. Kids who have COVID are placed in classrooms in elementary schools in particular. They're spending thirty hours a week indoors. Yeah, we know what we're doing, Jonathan. We, we know what they're doing, Jonathan. We're not debating that at all. What we're debating is, we got, what we're trying to clarify here is you're saying that there's more spread within the school than there is within the community. Therefore, the schools are contributing to spreading throughout the community. Am I wrong? What do you, is that what you're saying? Clearly, when the growth in COVID is much faster in schools, than it has been in the community since school reopened, when the actual rate of COVID in schools is much higher than in the community, it only makes sense that it's cases in schools and the spread when you put together for 30 hours a week 
in elementary schools. Do you think, Jonathan, uh, this has uh, anything to do with the fact that uh, now we're just seeing the whole demographic move farther south because instead of seeing those cases in long-term care and in the seniors, which are greatly, greatly, greatly reduced, as well as deaths, that's bringing the numbers down and obviously uh, uh, putting more focus on the younger demographics. Um, does that play into here at all, the fact that you know the majority of those over 80 have already been vaccinated? That certainly is a factor. Uh, that's a huge fact, factor, Jonathan. As, as is the fact. Because what you're presenting here, Jonathan, is that we should be shutting the schools. And there's more and more evidence from everybody I've talked to, including in, in what they were saying at the health table this morning, is that, you know, they reflect the community. And when you balance the two, it is far worse for their mental health uh, than it is to, to, to close the schools down because of the spread. So, again, this seems almost a little misleading, Jonathan. Oh, no, what's misleading is that you are going by what other people say that reinforce your beliefs. I'm looking at the actual data. I'm looking at the actual evidence. I'm looking at the fact that most European countries have shut down their schools because they were hit with the variants first, including France this week. So I'm looking what is actually happening with the data, and you need to listen to more than Dr. David Williams. I, well, wait a uh, second, wait a second. The, the point that I was making earlier, though, Jonathan, was that this is the first time. It's not that I'm just listening to uh, Dr. Williams. You, you know, we have guests on from, from both both sides of this of this issue and have had for the last year, and this is the first time I have heard anyone to, uh, alluding to the fact, and I see what you're saying, the data is saying there's more spread at this point within the schools than there is within the community. I, I think that's got a great deal, a, a great thing, a, a great deal to do with the fact that they're they're now vaccinating those populations um so that was this would reinforce the issue that you think or others think that that we should be closing the schools but this is the first time i've heard any health official from any organization say uh the spread is greater in the schools and therefore we should be closing the schools well then you're not listening to enough uh, uh, health officials, in particular epidemiologists and experts in infectious disease control. Yes, there have been splits on different issues because this is a novel coronavirus over the course of the last 13 years. So there hasn't always been consensus on every issue. But if this is the first time that you're personally hearing concerns that schools may be driving growth, then you need to pay more attention to Whoa, 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 whoa. Jonathan, 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 I've heard this before. What I haven't heard is any sort of evidence that says this is true. You always, in all of these debates, have people on both sides that say, close the schools. The others say, open the schools. So, of course, I have heard the argument before, Jonathan. What I'm saying is I haven't heard anybody back it up until today. Okay, well, good. I mean, I, I will be happy to uh, share with you a link to the evidence that Dr. Bassani uh, put out. Is there anybody uh, else other than Dr. Bassani who has information on this? Because you're quoting one guy at this point. There are. I can send you more links as well. And I can send you examples of, of countries around the world where variants hit earlier that have closed schools. I can point you closer. Again, you, you know, again, again Jonathan, there's, there's, always, there's always points to prove one's argument. 
I'm coming right back to the root of this, which is it's spreading faster in schools than it is in the community. Therefore, this is an argument to you shutting the schools. That's my point. You know, I mean, there's lots of other ways to, well, he said that, she said that, they said that, this said that. But that's what I'm coming back to. That's the first person, that's the first time I've heard this information. Uh, not, 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 not being raised, but being justified by being, uh, confirmed in any way. Absolutely. And as I said, I'll be happy to forward you a, a link, uh, uh, to, to, uh, what Dr. Bassani, uh, put out, uh, as well as the responses of other people who share uh, uh, his interpretation of the data. So uh, again, we have a we have a we have a, a media that leans more to the left. We have a conservative government. Why aren't we hearing this in mainstream media, Jonathan? Uh, well, I think first of all, your 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 presumption that you're not hearing in mainstream media in general isn't true. As you said yourself, you, you you've heard both sides of the debate about whether it makes sense. Or not to close schools, and the data that was uh, that I'm referring to today was put out this week by Dr. Bassani. It's new. Have we? So this is. So has there been any? Yeah. So this data that you're discussing is brand new. Has this been out earlier? This is his newest analysis that he put out this week. I understand that, but has the information that it's spreading more in schools and is a reason to close them? Has that been raised earlier? With this sort of, of of backing and data, there have been there have been similar uh, uh, efforts to uh, see what sort of uh, um, rates uh, of spread there were in schools versus community, but this is the most recent, and I would suggest the most persuasive data that's been released to date. And we need to pay attention. And we'll see where this goes, Jonathan. You've broken a major story here, if uh, if this is the case. Uh, Jonathan Sure with us, health journalist and investigative reporter. Jonathan, thank you for the time. Much appreciated. Be well. You too, and thank you very much. Take care. Uh, let's bring in Dr. Brooks Fallis, critical care and internal medicine physician. He is with us now. Uh, or sorry, uh, doctor, thank you for the time. I hope you're doing well. Uh, thank you. Yeah, nice to join you today. Sir. So your thoughts, doctor, on where we are on the eve of a, of another lockdown. It looks like we're going to, of course, cover the uh, the news conference at one thirty coming up live. Your thoughts, doctor, on where we are? Well, I, you know, we're in a position of real trouble here in Ontario. I, I actually think this is probably the worst place we've been through the whole pandemic right at this moment. Um, you know, we do have vaccines here which can prevent this disease and can save so many lives. Right now, we have a explosion of cases with really exponential growth happening in the province, and we have very overloaded ICUs that are going to have trouble handling the next few weeks. And if we let it continue to rise like this, we'll be even in more trouble in a month's time. And what's concerning this time, uh, obviously, uh, compared to, to last time, doctor, uh, and, and obviously this is a reflection of those older uh, in the older demographics have been vaccinated and in long long term care. But you're seeing younger patients filling those ICUs. Yeah, we, we are seeing significantly younger patients, um, you know, people who went to work, did their job, are following the rules, but, you know, got COVID or uh, one of their children brought it home from school and they became infected and and they end, and you know that the parent ends up critically ill in the ICU. These are, you know, tough, tough cases to see happen um, for the ICU and the ICU staff. And but th- the truth is that the new variants are worse for everybody. It's yeah. not that they attack young people more than old people. It's just that 
everybody is at risk of getting worse illness from uh, from these variants, and that means more hospitalizations per case on average, more ICU admissions, and, and more death, unfortunately. And obviously, as the older people are more vaccinated, we've seen that with long-term care and the results there, uh, obviously the focus then moves to the younger population. Absolutely, yeah. And in, in addition, you know, the, the, if you look at who's getting COVID right now, there's, uh, you know, a lot of school children, uh, you know, people in their 20s, 30s, and, and then probably the parents of some of those younger people in their 40s and 50s. So it's it's working age people, young parents, and, and young people who do a lot of the sort of frontline essential, um, essential worker roles in our communities. Uh, we just had a guest on that was uh, saying there was new evidence out that uh, says that uh, it is spreading uh, greater in schools than it is uh, in the community. Um, should the schools be closed? I mean, this is such a tough question to answer. There's no, there's no perfect answer. Obviously, closing schools is detrimental to children, and and you know, and nobody should disregard that. My my personal take on it is that uh, we should be going for uh, really a very, very short, deep closure of really everything. Let's look at which factories are really essential to get through the next six weeks. Let's look at which workplaces really need to be open for the next six weeks. And I would include schools in that. And, you know, let's really go very deep, reduce mobility. That will drop case counts quickly. We've seen it happen in the UK and Ireland where they use these kind of techniques. Add to that really targeting vaccination in uh, that frontline worker community that has to go to work. Let's use rapid tests on them. Let's contact trace aggressively, offer paid sick leave to these people. If we used all these techniques in a short period of time, we could drop cases down really dramatically, vaccinate as rapidly as we can. And we would see, you know, we'd really be in a different place, you know, as we uh, as we move into May and June and the summer. Uh, and we've certainly seen the results of that in the past with lockdowns in the past. Um, let me ask you this, doctor, because obviously uh, now that we're a year into this and this is the second we're going the second go around for holiday weekends and such. And I remember uh, pretty much before every uh, holiday weekend, the the concern was don't gather. And then, of course, two weeks later, we saw the you know, within the next two weeks, we saw uh, what happened with with numbers uh, all of a sudden spiking. Do you think it's a good idea? idea to keep the schools po- closed post uh, April spring break in order to allow for that time to pass? Yes, I, I do. Uh, you know, I, but it's not so much about allowing that time to pass. It's just that we need to look at every place where there's a lot of transmission happening right now and temporarily pause those things. I, I, I would hate to think that we wait a little longer with schools and then they get closed for the rest of the year. I think that's worse. It would be better to take a, a short break from and everybody look at their life and bring it down to only those essentials. And that's the way you see cases drop really dramatically when everybody across all aspects of society does that reduction. That's where we would we would be able to drop cases really, really quickly and then be able to transition into the out of out of this lockdown and actually have a chance of keeping things under control. Because I worry with this sort of uh sort of intermediate lockdown approach and keeping schools open, we may find ourselves in a month's time slightly worse off than we are right now. And then we have to say, what next? So I, I really strongly believe it's much better to go really aggressive up front, get things a little more under control, and then reopen. We're certainly seeing these discussions going on across the country, uh, British Columbia, Quebec as well. Is this something that should be done across the country? 
I mean, there's areas of our country that have done really, really well. So I, I wouldn't say all of Canada, but certainly the six provinces from BC to Quebec, um, yes, I think there is excellent argument for it to be uh, countrywide. We've, you know, we've added better travel restrictions um, for people coming into the country. So I think that the introduction of new cases that we didn't see coming, coming from other countries or Canadians traveling or even cross-border, we're in a slightly better place with regards to those. So if we can get control within our borders, then we can keep those border restrictions to help maintain control. Um, obviously, during the first and second waves, Doctor, we, we, we were talking less about uh, the younger demographics, more about the tragedy that was happening in the older uh, demographics. Now, obviously, it's completely the other way around as the 75-plus get uh, their their uh, their needle and, of course, those in long-term care being done, most with two uh, at this point. So um, now, again, first wave, second wave, nothing really about young people. Now those roles are reversed. Is this due to the fact simply because the older generation uh, has those older demographics have been vaccinated or is it due to the extreme spread of these new variants? Um, So I think it's both. So the, you know, the the long term care system had an excellent initial vaccine rollout. So people are well protected. Um, You know, that doesn't mean that new variants won't cause some illness. They probably will. But to a large extent, that, that cohort is protected. And we've had, you know, a first dose vaccine for lots of people in their 80s and now and now a significant number of people in their 70s. But you have to keep in mind that first dose vaccine is not completely protected. Um, so I, I think what we're really seeing is a combination of the variants and the group of the population that's seeing the majority of cases right now. So if the variants continue to creep up into people in their 60s and 70s who are either unvaccinated or have only had one shot, we're going to see those people get very sick too and land in hospital. Uh, obviously, before uh, the information that's breaking in the last 48 hours of just how severe, 72 hours of just how severe uh, these new variants have become and how they're overtaking ICU uh, wards and such, the conversation was about AstraZeneca. And for the third time, the information changing on that. Uh, And all of a sudden, we see an increase in hesitancy. Uh, Announced uh, this morning or coming up later, I guess, they'll announce that more pharmacies, up to 380 pharmacies, will be opening up and providing AstraZeneca to those uh, 55 plus. How concerned are you about hesitation? Because right now we've got, you know, an extremely uh, sensitive situation with the spike in the variants that we're seeing causing these lockdowns across the country. Uh, and yet we have extreme hesitancy with this vaccine, uh, more so than usual, just simply because of, of uh, what's been happening. Yeah. So vaccine hesitancy is a, is a huge concern. I, I, I do believe that. Uh, but know, I think isn't vaccine hesitancy one thing and then fear of the AstraZeneca is something different? Because that's that's what I'm hearing. It's, you know, people who are ready to get the vaccine and they're saying, I just don't want that one. Yes, there, there's there's definitely two aspects to it, that people feel that one vaccine is better than another. From the perspective of society, though, everybody getting vaccinated as soon as possible is by far the best, because if we leave large groups unvaccinated, then the disease will find its way to those people uh, and we will have, you know, continued outbreaks, continued hospital overload. So really everybody just needs to get vaccinated as soon as they can. You know, I think that the vaccine leadership groups are doing their, you know, their honest best to keep people apprised of uh, what the potential risks and benefits are. The, the, you know, the clotting abnormalities that we've seen 
for AstraZeneca is, uh, you know, is extremely, extremely rare. Um, but I think they're erring on the side of caution to say, let's get a little bit more information. And the higher risk group is in the younger population. So we should continue to use the vaccine in the older population where it's been effective and safe. So I would encourage anybody who's in the appropriate category to go out and get vaccinated as soon as they possibly can, because that's going to offer you personal protection against hospitalization and death. And it's also going to help protect everybody around you. Um, we were, we've, we've seen right through this pandemic. Uh, and if you go back to the first wave, uh, many in the younger populations were saying it's an old people's disease. It's the old people that are dying. Um, when, you know, we remember when they were past lockdowns or restrictions, uh, there was just, you know, and I don't want to blame it all on the younger generation by any means, but you know, they, again, they were, um, uh, considering they weren't the target of any of this, that they were, um, you know, young and, and, and wouldn't be uh, hit by it. Uh, now, obviously, we're seeing the opposite happen, uh, as you've mentioned in the ICUs. Is, is this message now getting across to everybody, all demographics? I think so. I think so. I think, you know, people are probably feeling that concern and you hear stories of friends or friends of friends and, and you know, the, the, the tragic case in Peterborough um, mm. uh, as an example that was, you know, in the media and we've seen, you know, I personally at ICUs I've, uh, you know, work, work in, our teams have seen younger and younger patients. Um, you know, I think still we have to realize that, you know, lots of people will get the infection and be okay. But if we allow large volumes of the population to get the infection at the same time, many, many people are going to get sick and that will include young people. So, I, you know, I hope everybody is going to do everything they can to um, follow, you know, public health guidance. Um, but I do also think that, a lot of the reason young people are getting it is because, you know, school children bringing it home and or a workplace environment that is just difficult to make safe against against, uh, uh, you know, a, a virus that's in the air. And in particular, against these new variants that are so much more transmissible. Um, as as we slowly move forward uh, through this uh, and and uh, obviously uh, we hear more about it. Uh, many, uh, I, I guess the point that I'm making here is that a lot of these young people that are getting it, younger demos that are getting it, uh, don't have chronic conditions, don't have underlying conditions. You know, with the older generation, obviously, uh, their immune systems aren't as healthy as those of young people. But I'm hearing more and more that these are healthy young people without any previous conditions, um, you know, don't fall into the categories where, you know, they were would be greatly susceptible to this sort of thing, uh, you know, in fine shape. Is that what you're seeing? Yeah, we are seeing more of that, although it, we did see some of that in the first two waves. And a lot of the comorbidities we saw in the first two waves were things like obesity, high blood pressure, diabetes, things that are extremely common that upwards yeah. of a third of Canadians have. So it, it wasn't all people who were really, really chronically ill. Um, so, so, but yes, we are seeing healthier people uh, being hit hard by the, by the new variants. But equally, those people with those risk factors, as well as older people, will also be hit harder by the new variants. So really the truth is the new variants are worse for everybody. And because they're worse for young people, and that's the group that really has a lot of COVID right now, we're seeing that in our ICUs. Advice for those this long weekend, doctor? Um, you know, stay home as much as you can, get your outdoor time, and only socialize outside of your household outside. 
no, ah. no, inside, no inside gatherings at all with anybody outside of your household. Dr. Brooks Fallis with us, critical care internal medicine physician, uh, talking about where we are now with the third wave of COVID-19. Doctor, thanks so much for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Be well. You too. Thanks for having me on. Here is today's daily commentary. There are many conspiracy theorists out there who think the world is flat. The moon landing was staged. 9-11 was a hoax, as is COVID-19. There are also those who believe there are mass freezers filled with vaccine in Ontario and Doug Ford and the provincial government are hoarding them instead of jabbing them into the arms of citizens. Yes, of course, there is vaccine in freezers that is needed to keep a steady supply chain of injection sites moving. If the shelf is empty, mass clinics like Canada's Wonderland and Rosedale Arena in Hamilton are idle or delayed due to lack of supply like they both are this holiday weekend. Let me explain it again this way. If you do your weekly grocery shopping on Saturday, Saturday night, Sunday, Monday, your fridge is full. However, come Thursday or Friday, your fridge is empty because you eat, which is why you go for more groceries again on Saturday to refill your fridge. Vaccine is delivered at best every week, sometimes every two or three weeks between a company's delivery. After a delivery, the shelves are full, but by the end of the week, they are out into arms or waiting for those with future appointments to fill the upcoming days and keep the steady movement of the chain. Can we please move beyond the great COVID-19 fridge conspiracy? I'm Scott Thompson. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. So I'm watching Jimmy Kimmel last night, and it's this day in COVID-19 history. And maybe it's a bit more uh, apropos in the United States because they're all laughing and partying down there. They're like, they're, 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 they're doing shots of vaccine. So it might be too soon for us, but I found it fascinating. And what he did was he played uh, clips of where they were exactly a year ago. So I never even thought of this before. And I know because I pulled, I've used this pile of papers in front of me before to, to, to quote and look back at various numbers and where we are. But here's, uh, and, and I'm not sure if I'm going to do this or you want to hear this at all, but I, I've got the show sheet from March 31st, uh, 2020. And I believe this is April 2nd. For some reason, I can't find April 1st. Uh, I've lost it. So anyway, so here's what we were talking about, you know, this week, this day, roughly, uh, last year. Uh, schools closed until May. That's what we were announcing this day, a year ago. Uh, town hall on CHML with the city, 7 to 8 o'clock. Uh, we have to practice uh, gratitude, exercise patience, uh, stay home. Uh, 3,000 companies are uh, helping us with PPE. PPE was the big deal, uh, shortage of PPE. Uh, and the other thing was transparency uh, because uh, governments were saying that we do have PPEs and then they would come out and admit that we finally did not have enough uh, PPEs. So, um, again, emergency schools closing until May 4th. Uh, here was the other big thing. Uh, teachers obviously switching over to remote learning in phase two. Um, uh, teacher-led learning, expectations, report cards, uh, bracing for all forms of connectivity, uh, bringing professional development uh, to educate the teachers and students on how to online learn correctly. Uh, get tech to students who don't have it. 
uh, be flexible uh, and could be extended. So these are just points that I'm reading off uh, my notes and my show sheets from exactly uh, one year ago today. And you have to ask yourself, um, I, I think we're in a different place. I really do. I don't think we're going into a lockdown until May or any of that sort of thing. And I think the reason between uh, the reason uh, or, or sorry, the difference between what I just read you and where we are now is this was the first wave. Uh, there was no vaccine. We didn't even know what the heck we were dealing with. We didn't know anything about masks. We didn't know anything about protocol. And we're certainly in a lot different place right now. So that is something to remember as we uh, look back at where we were exactly one year ago uh, today in COVID-19 history. All right, uh, let's bring in Dr. Ahmad Khalid, health policy expert. Uh, he is with us now. Doctor, thank you for the time. I hope you're doing well. Thank you, Scott. Thanks for having me. I think I might have talked to you on that first week, Doctor. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> Man, did you ever think back then we would be where we are now? I had a feeling. I had a feeling that this pandemic was we're in it for the long run. And I think that, you know, there are signs on the horizon that positive things are coming our way with the increase in the vaccine rollouts. Uh, but yeah, I think we all knew that this was unprecedented times and none of us really understood how long this was going to take. I mean, you probably asked me this time last year, I would have probably told you, you know, hopefully within a year we'll be out of this. We're past the year one year mark. We're still in it. So I'm hopeful that within this year, this coming year, we can look behind and say that the pandemic's behind us. Uh, obviously, as I mentioned, uh, the first wave, we were really shooting in the dark. We had no idea what this was. We had no idea that there'd even be a vaccine. Uh, certainly the protocol, nobody knew. I, I remember the first few months we were debating whether we should be using masks or not. So the difference between, because obviously we're about to hear of a lockdown, uh, there's lockdowns happening right the way across the country in various uh, uh, jurisdictions. So many will look at, back and say, gee, here we go again. But it is different this time, is it not? Well, it's different in that we know what works relatively, what works and what doesn't work. And one thing that does work and evidence is very clear about it right now is that public health interventions like face masking, social distancing and safe hand hygiene uh, works. Now, however, I know many people are listening to us right now and saying you guys keep saying this all the time, but we're still in the pandemic. We've been doing that. And I agree with everybody. I think that there is a a level of frustration uh, with the continuous coming in and out of lockdown. Listen, let me make it very clear. I feel you and I hear you on this. I feel the exact same way, that it is frustrating that we keep coming in and out of lockdown. However, the issue that continues to be a problem is that just because you and I might be following this intervention doesn't mean everybody is. And there's also the bigger concern here is that those variants are very highly infectious and transmittable in our communities. And we're seeing that our younger population now have a higher rates of ICU admissions. And so, you know, this pandemic is a crazy one and it keeps presenting itself in different ways, which means we have to continuously adapt. And in the meantime, the only mechanisms we have to protect ourselves is really those lockdown measures to, to, until we have the vaccines uh, that are widely distributed throughout the country. And so when you sit back and ask yourself, well, how can I protect myself at this current time, given what's going on, uh, lockdown, social uh, isolation, safe hand hygiene, and face masks is the only thing we have at our disposal now until the vaccines are available. Some are saying, you know, we've had these lockdowns or, or restrictions of some sort in place for over a year. Uh, obviously, nothing's changing, changing. They're not going down. But, you know, that's a little inaccurate in the sense, doctor, that, boy, if we hadn't have had any of these restrictions, where would we be? Because the modeling shows we'd be in a very different place. 
Absolutely. And I'm so happy you brought this up. So let's remind everybody that, you know, although we're going in and out of lockdowns, they have worked. And let me give you an example of how they worked. My mother uh, two days ago presented with pain in her leg. She went to the ER and she was able to be seen within six hours. Uh, she wouldn't have been able to be seen in the ER for two to three days if, if we actually didn't practice those things because we would have overwhelmed our health system. Uh, most people, not everybody, but a good number of Canadians can still access care, whether it's through the primary care provider or through our emergency rooms. Let's remind everybody that if we decided as a country not to follow those rules and to say, let COVID take its, na- its nature within our communities, I assure everybody, and the evidence is very clear on that as we have compared to her, that we would be in a much, much, much worse situation. And, and just to be very clear on that, what I mean by much worse situation is that the death toll uh, in our country would have been exceptionally high. And all of us would have known somebody close to us that would have died because of this virus. Uh, many are debating, you know, whether we open, whether we close, this, that. I mean, you know, there, there's ample debate on both sides of uh, this discussion. Is this about more rules or just adhering to the ones we have? Adhering to the ones we have and, and really pushing this vaccination rollout, which let me just say that the government is under a massive amount of pressure by everybody, by the public, by businesses, by everybody, to really get this vaccination rollout plans underway to vaccinate as many people as possible. I mean, this is the topic of the day. All we keep talking about day in and day out uh, is vaccines now because that pressure is real and everybody's feeling it. And and I, I, and I do say that, the, you know, the, it's not easy for the government to come to a decision to say, let's go into another lockdown. They're not in denial that the number of protesters on the streets is increasing every time they do, they announce those lockdowns. The frustration among the public, the general public is exceptionally high businesses are suffering they know that and so when they come to this decision it's not taken lightly it's taken on the fact that we have a choice to make at this particular moment do we continue the status quo opening things up or do we prioritize the health and safety of the population and it's a very difficult decision to make i don't envy them i would not want to be in that position uh, we've uh, there's more and more discussions about schools. I had a reporter on this morning that said there was new information out that uh, there's more back there, there's more cases in schools than there are in the communities. Therefore, uh, schools should be closed because it is spreading at a greater pace in the schools than in the community. Well, I mean, from what, if we evaluate the evidence that came out during the first wave of the pandemic, there were reports that case transmissions within schools was, uh, on, in some cases, in specific contexts, was higher. Uh, and that's why there was a lot of concerns about how do we open schools. But I also have heard that the government is currently considering continuing this online learning modules. And so I think the conversations about whether we continue, how do we operate within the school dynamic, is really going to depend also about the vaccination of younger population, because the two go hand in hand. If we're able to vaccinate more of our populations, both within younger and older populations, then we can safely start resuming activities like school reopening. But given right, right now that the variants are acting in, in a way that's you know, not predictable, that's, that's dangerous, and that's risky, I think that we're going to be looking at, our, at a situation where schools might be closed. So uh, we remember what happened over holidays and the discussions that we've had uh, prior to holidays, because, you know, usually a week or two after we start to see the fallout of those gatherings uh, and and people getting together and such. Uh, Do you think it would be wise to close the school uh, for the extra week after 
uh, spring break in order to get through that two-week period if people have gathered. Yes, and I, and I assume that that is actually one of the decisions the government yeah. is trying to decide whether to do or not. I mean, you know, I, it's funny you say one year ago, and I actually distinctively remember you and I talking about the Easter break a year ago. Uh, it's crazy that we're a year have passed by so quick. And my advice then was play it safe uh, because we don't want to be in a worse situation. I mean, I think that that is the way to think about this overall pandemic is that if we can play it safe, play it safe, because the alternative is disastrous. It's losing lives and it's burdening a health system that can no longer function. Uh, we are, again, a national healthcare system that's covered universal health insurance. So it's covered by the government. We have public health administration. So our system is fragile. And, you know, we don't have a parallel private system that can operate while our public one functions. So it's very important that we protect what we value most, which is the ability of our health system to respond to the most urgent needs out there. So uh, the beginning of the week, uh, and it's a short week, <laughs> the beginning of the week, doctor, we were talking about AstraZeneca. And oddly enough, I think I had you on as the first guest, and we were talking about how you know uh, great this vaccine was and how any of the public misconception had been cured uh, and, and solved and, and so on and so forth. And then by the end of the show, news had <laughs> broke that it was being restricted. And actually, we tried to get you back on that same day. And, and that was just a, a, a whirlwind of a day as as literally the information is changing while the show is on the air uh, but that's what we were talking about at the beginning of the week we've certainly seen uh where that discussion went and and now and and i don't even equate hesitancy uh, in the same category as AstraZeneca, because there's those that are hesitant about vaccine in general, and that's one thing. But then I think there's another group that are hesitant, that want the vaccine, but they're just hesitant of AstraZeneca. So that's the first part of the week discussion on a short week. Now we're at the end of the week, and we're all of a sudden, boom, the focus is on these variants getting under control, and we're heading back down into uh, a lockdown scenario bring these two together because you know now as you mentioned there's even more stress to get vaccinated but now there's more hesitancy yeah just to be clear i'm so glad you brought it up on monday when we were speaking about astrazeneca the, the, the truth is that nothing has really changed from what i said on monday which is astrazeneca still for the most part is a safe vaccine uh, health canada and the committee did not come out and say AstraZeneca is not safe. What they did say is when they reviewed the evidence of people under the 55 based on a study out of Germany, they saw that there were an increased number in terms of ratio of individuals, uh, mostly females, who were developing clots. And the study from Germany, I reviewed it actually, does not conclusively blame AstraZeneca. However, the committee met with all the you know chief medical officers who were involved in the in the committee across the country and they made the decision to again play it safe because whenever we are faced with a decision where we can either play it safe or take a risk canada tends to be risk averse we are a country that is risk averse and so uh, the committee decided let's not take that risk let's play it safe and let's you know stop pause it for under the age of 55 however we'll continue to give it above the age of 55 which indicates that they still believe that the vaccine is a safe vaccine otherwise we would have just completely halted the stop and then actually it's important to bring this up uh, scott because i think at this moment you know there's going to be a lot of different news that come out on the vaccines, and we just have to remind the public that those vaccines they have not been around for 10 million years and we can't nobody 
uh, would come out and say, you know, they are bulletproof, because how can you say that? The evidence keeps emerging and evolving over time as we study it over a larger population. So uh, for now, I do agree with you, though, that and we said that on Monday with you and I on your show, hesitancy will continue to increase. I had no doubt that the minute there were negative press about AstraZeneca, uh, beyond just the committee pausing it or not, that people will be hesitant whether they take it or not. And we will continue to see that. What I suspect will happen, and this is just a, an assumption here, is that actually we're going to be looking for the government to ramp up Pfizer and Moderna uh, as opposed to AstraZeneca. Because unfortunately, whatever way you slice it, uh, the negative press around AstraZeneca uh, or just the press period, the news around AstraZeneca, whether it's good or bad, is influencing public opinion. And therefore, I think that we're going to be looking uh, at a much different scenario in the coming future about which vaccine we will be really needing to have up in our country. So uh, let me run this by you, doctor. I got a note from somebody who's outside of uh, the city limits in a more rural area, but still obviously getting vaccinated and such. Uh, Stories of people making two appointments and then seeing because they won't tell them and it's it's interesting they won't tell them what vaccine they are getting although i asked you know in certain situations they were I asked paul johnson of our local health table here he goes now here's what we're doing the pharmacies are having the astrazeneca and the, the city clinics have either the pfizer or the moderna and i guess they don't have that information in other areas and so these people were booking two appointments and they see what's going to happen i mean that's certainly not what we're looking for no, absolutely not. And that's really definitely not what we want to be happening because this, I mean, just administratively, I'm sure many people exactly. can to what I'm, yeah, to what I'm about to say from an administrative perspective. Can you imagine how long it will take to actually clear that up uh, yeah. and the confusion that happens with it? And right now, the priority is can we all, you know, cooperate to make sure that the people who need the vaccine, uh, first and foremost, get it? Uh, and that we we help the system function. And by that, I mean, we don't overburden. I mean, there was also reports that people would just go logging into websites to find out when they can uh, check their availability mm-hmm. or book. And, and we were advised not to do that either. That will be announcements will be made when uh, your age demographic should be checking for that. And the reason is that, you know, you just overwhelm IT systems that are trying to function at their best. And so, uh, you know, we need to really be considerate about the overall plan here. So we were talking about school and such. Pfizer saying they're doing tests or have tested a small amount of uh, kids between the ages of 12 and 15 and have found it, uh, the vaccination, uh, effective and safe for them. Can we, do you think we're going to see kids being vaccinated as they head back to school in September? Uh, I mean, that is a million-dollar question. I doubt it. Uh, I think that it's going to take some time for Canada to review that. I, I sense that the, our government and our country is more focused on the uh, older populations right now. I mean, we're also nowhere close now to where the U.S. is in their, in their vaccination age demographic. So I have a, a very uh, good suspicion that the focus will remain on the older demographic. And while Pfizer, you know, continues to publish their results on the younger demographic in the U.S., I'm sure Health Canada will be paying very close attention to it to figure out what model or how we would be implementing this. All right, Dr. Ahmad Khalid has been with us, a health policy expert uh, out of McMaster and uh, giving us the latest uh, one year later (laughs) that we're taking and comparing notes to. Doctor, as always, thank you so much for the time. Be well. Have a great weekend. You too. Thank you, Scott. 
You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. Liberals open up an eight-point lead over the Conservatives as O'Toole just not resonating with Canadians. Richard Jenkins is with us now. Richard, thank you for the time. I hope you're well. I'm doing great, thanks. So give us a little uh, uh, backstory here. What, are, what, are the, what is your polling showing in regard to uh, the Liberals taking the lead or moving uh, eight points ahead and the reasons for it? Well, it's clear that the Liberals now are probably at the highest level since the fall um, and coming close to where they were uh, back last spring um, when they were trying to deal with the pandemic and they had that kind of boost. Um, and most of that seems to be because none of the other parties are really resonating in any way. Um, but the positive thing to the Liberals has to be the, the rolling out of the vaccine. Um, it's been a key driver over the last six months, really, in terms of um, what people are want out of the government. And when we weren't getting vaccine, the Liberals took their took a big hit. Um, and now the vaccine is rolling out, and we're and they're not going to get blamed for the, the provincial rollout, right? They're just there, there's the supply. Uh, that being said, um, you, you know, all the provinces are pretty much in the same situation and all are saying they are waiting for supply. Well, you, you can never have enough, right? <laughs> well, there all, there will always be, there'll always be, we've had this debate over and over again about the supply chains and people saying there's stuff in freezers and that, well, you know, if the freezer's empty, the supply chain grinds to a halt. So, um, but at the end of the day, uh, uh, you know, as you said initially, uh, the prime minister's number is going down because we saw, uh, Canada fall to like between 50th and 60th place in the world for getting vaccinations. Obviously now we're starting to see, uh, vaccinations roll in and we're climbing up a above 40 now uh, in the world. And that's been enough just to trip this up the way it is. Uh, where we are right now, people are still pretty unhappy. Um, do you think these numbers are going to stay or with this third wave and a new set of lockdowns that are going on in various provinces that things might change? Uh, I think they could easily change. I think that's uh, probably be the number one reason why we're probably not going to see a, a spring election. Um because it's really uncertain what's going to happen over the next uh, three weeks, given the, the how how quickly the the variants, the new variants, are spreading. Um, you talked about election. Are are they in majority territory? Are they in that sweet spot to pull the trigger? They got to believe they are. Um, they're they're certainly high enough and um, regionally have the numbers um, to potentially get there. Um, I, I'd be worried if I were them. Um, O'Toole obviously has not um, made any really inroads. In fact, his negatives are going up and up. Um, he didn't get a boost after the policy convention, the Conservative Policy Convention. So, and this a, would be this would be reflective of that, would it not? Yeah, I, I think. Yeah. The interesting thing about it is that he may, in the long run, benefit from this, but in the short term, his attempt to you know, acknowledged climate change um, has kind of alienated even his own yeah. supporters. Um, and in the long run, that might be okay. Yeah. Um, you don't need everyone in Alberta to vote for you to win Alberta. Um, but you you do need people to vote for you in Ontario. Um, and at the moment, he's not resonating, but that could change um, when, once the election is called.
It was interesting. There was an article in the Globe and Mail that said, uh, alluded to, uh, this could be work in his favor simply because it finally puts this issue to bed uh, on climate change after the Supreme Court ruling for the Conservative Party. And he can just stand there and go, see, this is a dead end. Let's move on. Do you, do you see that happening? Uh, it's certainly quite possible. I think that he's better off getting taking the hit now um, than and, and moving on uh, from this issue. Um, it's it's not the thing that's going to define the election, and I don't think it's the thing that even people on the right um, think needs to be the most important priority for for the next government. So, is this about how much Canadians like Justin Trudeau, or the fact that there doesn't appear to be much of an of an opposition? I think it's mostly the the lack of of a true opposition. I think the fact that Parliament hasn't sit the way it normally would hasn't uh, given the opposition parties as much of a, a platform to to challenge things. Um, it's not like Justin Trudeau's numbers are going up. Um, they're they're therefore sort of flat, uh, relatively speaking, uh, even as the party uh, is doing better and has widened its lead. So it's not really about the leader per se. And this, uh, obviously, reflection, a direct result of that convention that uh, just seemed to go off the rails for O'Toole. Yeah, I, I think there's, he was probably hoping that this would be a positive thing for him. Um, so far, it's not been. And it, it could easily be a, a reaction to it. Um, you know, how much does someone on, the, on more of the left of liberal voters or NDP voters really believe that O'Toole really, you know, has changed his mind or changed the party's view of climate change, right? So um, there would be a lot of skepticism, and that's got to hurt his his overall impression. It, it was interesting. We had O'Toole on this week, and I asked him about, uh, you know, the parties going to the extreme right, uh, the liberals going more to the left, to the extreme left, to the point where they're eating the lunch of the NDP. And it seems that the center has been neglected, and that's where the majority of Canadians and the votes lie, uh, not on the extremes. And I said, you know, why are, I asked why, uh, the opposition was, you know, dictating the, uh, or sorry, the, the liberals were dictating the narrative for, uh, the conservatives and, 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 you know, where's the center? And he claimed himself to be the center, that that's exactly where he was bringing the party to. And so much for everybody else thinking what they've thought. Uh, this is the party that he wants in the center. Do you think he can sell that? Uh, it's going to be tough. Um, if for no other reason than um, Western democracies are, are going through the opposite. Um, we've watched the United States polarize itself incredibly. Um, what's happening in Canada, the multi-party system and our regionalism blurs some of that, but there's a seemingly more incentive to go to the extremes than ever before in politics. And we haven't been maybe rewarding parties as much for being centrist. And uh, so Maybe he can take them policy-wise to the center, but I'm not sure that's the way to activate your base and... Uh but that being said, but that being said, Richard, you know, um, you know, as uh, you may, I don't know, I, I'm, I'm still convinced post COVID nineteen, you're going to see the opposite. I think you're going to see people come uh, to be more empathetic and, and become more unified, move more, more towards 
the center. Um, but, you know, being or, or moving closer to the center uh, uh, for the Conservative Party, uh, even if that alienates uh, the extreme right, it's not like there's any place to go. I mean, isn't it better to have... Uh, you, you know, uh, a leader who, who, who is more towards center of what your view is as opposed to voting for the other guy? Uh, for sure. And that has been the logic of the party system for the last, you know, three or four yeah. decades. Um, but it, it feels like over the last 10 years, it, that has been changing a little bit. Um, that getting people to vote, getting your base out, um, is, is almost becoming as important as as being in the place where the votes actually are, which, as you say, is in the middle. Uh, but I think even the Donald Trump supporters are realizing, you know, like he split the country to win the election, and then he split the the Republican Party. And sooner or later, you've got to, t- to unite if you're going to win in this game. Do you not? In the long run, it seems inevitable that that, that will have to be true. Um, in the short term, I'm not sure... It has to be, um, and certainly the liberals have, are, have taken more left positions than you would normally expect them to. Um, we used to say they would they talk from the left but govern from the center, and that doesn't even feel as doesn't feel as true now as it did in previous liberal governments. Interesting. So you think the center has disappeared or disappearing, shrinking? Uh, I think as a there's. Lots of Canadians in the center, um, but the problem is is that they're not um, they're not forcing the parties by the way they vote to to come to them. Are we looking for a solution? Or are we just looking for our team to win? Well, and I think that that wanting our team to win thing has been a big part yeah. of politics over the last uh, few years, and it's certainly a big part of what's happened in the United States. I hear you. Boy, uh, it'll be fascinating to see how this all shakes down. Do you think the, the pandemic will change these views or not, or just separate us? I was thinking they might unify, Richard. Do you think they're going to separate? It could go either way. I, I, yeah. What I worry about is the uh, inequality that is the, and the rising inequality that's occurred during the pandemic is going to, in a post-pandemic world, um, make politics even more sharper uh, and more challenging. Um, because of, of the number of people who've sort of not done well during the pandemic. Fascinating. It's going to be interesting to watch this, especially uh, interesting to be in your line of work at this point. Richard Jenkins with us, Director of Public Sector Research at Abacus Data. Uh, the Liberals opening up a lead over the Conservatives, uh, more so because of lack of opposition. Richard, thanks for the time. Be well. Have a great weekend. You're welcome. You too. Intercom. Dogs at the door. No. Crows uh, chirping. Vacuums on. Kids are screaming. Just some of the stuff you hear on the Scott Thompson Home Show. Feel free. You know what? We'll just start firing off all the sound effects. It's like the end of the show. It's the end of the week. We don't care anymore. Just run the chainsaws. Get the get the toilets flushing. Get everything going. All right. Uh, oh, I almost snorted there on the show. Let's bring in the Reverend Jim Carrier. It's time for another weekly message of hope. Uh, Jim, of course, from Good Shepherd Church in St. Catharines. He is with us now. Jimmy, how are you? I'm well. Those were actually quite comforting sounds, you know, the uh, crickets and the crows and the birds, all sounds of spring and summer coming up. Oh, That's because that's all we've been hearing for the last year, Jimmy. 
exactly. If all of a sudden, if all of a sudden I hear a car go by, I'm like, ah, what was that? <laughs> oh my God, there's a plane! Oh, there was the dog. Sorry, I'm just kidding there, Tucker. I'm, I'm okay. All right. <laughs> I'm getting uh, making too much noise here. Uh, so, how are you doing, Jimmy? I'm doing all right, uh, even despite of uh, you know the, this afternoon's announcement from the premier. Doesn't seem like nothing too much has changed in that regard. Um, but we're under, I guess, a lockdown of sorts, sort of, almost nearly. Yeah, I'm you, not sure. you know, you, you get you bring up a very valid point. We've been in and out of this so much that it's it's not really much of a change now than it or you know it's not much of a a change of the norm uh, as it was a year ago. A year ago, this is a major upheaval. Uh, but yeah, it's it's like at this point we all kind of know what to do. Yeah, yeah. But plus the motive is different. The motivation is different. Like last time, last year at this time, we were trying to slow down the disease. Now yeah. we're just trying to give ourselves time to administer a vaccine. So I think that that's good news. And and I'm kind of thinking and hoping and praying that this may be the last stretch of of, of any sort of lockdown, and that uh, that after this month and maybe further on into the summer, we'll begin to. Sit, start opening the doors and the windows and uh, taking careful steps outside it'll be good you know I, I i really do believe what you're saying is true and and um you know we've, we've all been knee deep in this for uh for a year and and getting all the information and trying to pass it along as as quickly and as efficiently as we can but you know again i, I think a big difference in the third wave is that uh you know the vaccine or so the variants are extremely scary and and we have to be uh vigilant against them but the good news at the other end of that is that uh, we have a vaccine now which we didn't have in the second and first waves which which, uh, you know, hopefully will, uh, with one last push, as we said last weekend, we can finally get through this. And again, as you get into summer, uh, and and even though we are heading into a lockdown, I think there's, you know, uh, everybody's feeling crappy. There's no choice about it. But I, I have a feeling it's just it's different this time and, and, and that we will get through this, no problem. Well, I think you're right that people are feeling crappy. You know, there's this chronic stress thing that's going on. There's this boredom that every day is kind of like the same. It's sort of like Groundhog Day over and over again. Uh, but as, 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 as you said, you know, that there are some things that, that are under the surface that we don't see that are happening. Uh, and that's vaccines are being boxed up. They're being loaded into, into trucks even as we speak. They're heading our way. And that, uh, that we will come, come, come to a time where this will be past us and we're gonna, we're gonna get through this. This is not a permanent issue. I think the surprise for us was the variants came around and that kind yeah, of slowed yeah. down our process. And I think that's why we're in a lockdown is because the variants are a little more contagious than the original virus. So, so, but, but we're still on, on course, I think. You know, you, absolutely. And, and, you know, that's something to remember too, is that, uh, you know, we are still on track to get all those vaccines that are starting to come in now. We're starting to see it now. And if we can keep that consistency, uh, we should be in good shape through, uh, the spring. I know it's a big weekend for you, Jimmy. And, uh, I know that, uh, you wish you could be doing a, a full blown service as opposed to, to what you're doing. But, uh, good luck this weekend and, uh, and deliver the message that needs to be delivered. Well, I will, and thank you very much, Scott. This is our second Easter online, yeah. uh, but we're we're looking forward to it, and looking forward to to the time uh, that, and hoping that this time next year we'll be able to celebrate Easter together as a one solid community in one building together around the table. The Reverend Jim Carrier with us, Good Shepherd Church in St. Catharines. Be sure to check out his Facebook page and follow along. Uh, Jim, as always, thanks for the time. Be well, and all the best to you and the family this weekend. Happy Easter, and my love to Eileen and the kids. Back at you. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on 900 CHML.
This is the Scott Thompson Podcast, available on Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts or wherever you get yours. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review so you don't miss a thing. I'm Scott Thompson, and thanks for listening. Have a good life. We will see you soon.